Judges chapter number 6. If I'm not mistaken, this is our third message in the gallery of Gideon. Judges chapter number 6. Last week, we talked about Gideon's first assignment. And uh, that's always important. His was a great success. Uh, You've heard me say before, I'll never forget whenever I first surrendered to preach and and started preaching, and and the very first message I preached, and uh, (laughs) I'll never forget my pastor's wife uh, saying something to to Bev and said, uh, you know, I know this is a nervous time for you, and... uh, she gave her some kind of a nerve pill, literally. This is true story. I'm the one that needed the nerve pill, and I had to preach. She, of course, it might have been, it might have been more difficult to listen than to preach. But I'll never forget whenever I walked up there and opened my Bible, and my, and I'd never had this happen before, so I guess I'd never been nervous. Didn't have enough sense to be nervous, and I didn't know what it was. But I got the cotton mouth. I mean, my mouth was so dry, I couldn't spit. There was no saliva. I, and I started talking and nothing was coming out. I mean, zilt, zero, nothing, not a, just, and uh, so I had to kind of start all over. And uh, so uh, I know how first assignments are. And I, I don't know how, how I made it through, but some way or another I got through the message and with the help of a nerve pill, Bev made it through. And uh, so uh, first assignments are important, but we've got to remember. And by the way, Gideon's had been a great success. Boy, when we look back and think about what, what he did, and the Lord told him, I want you to go up there and I want you to tear down all of your daddy's idols, cut down those groves. I mean, he is immediately drawing a line that divides him and his family and all of the town folk. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, this is action that's going to put him at odds with everybody. And he did it anyway. That's quite a price to pay, especially for somebody that's just starting out. So he was a great success. But what we have to remember is that this is only the beginning. And uh, some people forget that. They start out good in the beginning, but they never get beyond that. A good start, but they never finish. They just stay where they are. And instead of going on, maybe some will spend the rest of their life bragging about what they've accomplished in the past. But uh, we need to finish the work that God gives us to do. Well, tonight we're going, to, we're going to see that's not always easy. As successful as he was, tonight we're going to see that all of a sudden uh, he is brought face to face with a situation that reveals his faithlessness. Now, we think of him as a man of faith. The Bible describes him as a man of faith. But on this occasion, we see that his faith was lacking. And there are four things, beginning in verse number 33, on down through the remainder of this chapter, there are four parts to this story tonight as we talk about the faithlessness of Gideon. 
The first thing is the arrival of the Midianites. Remember, they are the enemies that come swooping into town, especially at harvest time, taking everything they've got. So notice verse 33. Then, then all of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now, that must have been quite a sight to see because just about the time it seems like Gideon has really got it all together, he is about to come unglued. And at this point, he seems to, to have plenty of faith, but all of a sudden, the sight of this huge Midianite army and all of their allies is going to change all of that. It was harvest time, as usual, as we've already talked about. The Midianites are preparing to make their move against Israel. But unbeknown to the people, things were about to change. And this time, Israel was about to be the victor. You know, whether you realize it or not, this story relates to our everyday life. As a Christian... There's something here that relates to us because it's common for us to be frightened uh, at the sight of difficulties. I, I mentioned this morning, Bev and I starting out in, in the ministry and uh, the difficulties confronting us. And, you know, I, I would be lying if I said uh, none of that frightened me. I, I, I know it scared her to death to think on Think about taking on the task of being a preacher's wife. And it was a frightening experience in that time and time and time again that your faith is put to the test. And, and by the way, unless you're perfect, you don't always pass the test. A lot of times we fail when we should succeed, but there's a lot of times whenever it looks like beyond any shadow of a doubt that we are going to fail and all of a sudden God gives us the victory. And so that's what we're about to see here because remember, these people have been defeated over and over and over again. What was it? Seven years, I believe, seven years in a row. They've been defeated by the Midianites, stripped of their goods, suffered all of this loss, incurred the, in, uh, in, the embarrassment of being defeated by these people. And, and so you finally reach the point, you know, that, that it's not going to do any good to, to fight anymore. Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, schoolyard fights. You know, you, I, I never will forget whenever I was in the in grade school, and, and of course it was an everyday thing. We always had a schoolyard fight, and, and I mean that was part of growing up. You'd fight this one, and you know you're trying to establish the pecking order and see who's the toughest. Well, there was a kid named Cecil Vaughn, and me and Cecil fought, and we fought, and we fought. And, uh, and I'd been fortunate, you know, to, uh, I, I defeated all the other kids, but I, I couldn't beat Cecil, but he couldn't beat me. And so we fought, and finally it got to the point we quit fighting because neither one of us is winning, you know, and you finally reach the point, well, what's the sense? You might as well give up and quit fighting. 
I feel certain that it must have been that way for Israel. There's no need to resist. I mean, they're coming in. They're going to take what we've got. We're going to suffer loss. We're just going to get hurt that much more if we fight against them. Let's just, let's just give it to them. Well, all of a sudden, God is about to change that. So what I'm saying is, as a church or as a family or as a person and whatever you encounter in life, just because you have suffered losses in the past, look, that doesn't have to, to, to predict what your future is going to be. God can change all of that. And so the arrival of the Midianites all of a sudden puts Gideon in this frightening situation. Now, look at verse number 34, because here we see the anointing of Gideon, and it says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. Now, I want you to notice that little word, but. It makes a sharp contrast from what has just been said. In verse number 33, notice the enemy is approaching. They are out there. They're camped, as it were, just outside the gate. And and here they are, ready to pounce upon Israel. But as Israel is making, as they are making their plans against Israel, God is preparing a man that's going to lead them to victory. And notice what happens. It says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That is, he was, he anointed him. He empowered him. He enabled him. I've often said, the Christian life requires a miracle. There's absolutely no way that you and I can live the Christian life apart from God's help. We can't do it on our own. It makes no difference how knowledgeable we might be of the Bible. It makes no difference how gifted we are with oratorical abilities or whatever it might be. We cannot succeed without God's touch upon our life. In fact, you'll remember over in, in the book of Zechariah, it tells us basically that all is vain except the Spirit. Remember the song, all is vain except the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And boy, that's where we find ourselves, uh, that, that we're totally dependent upon the Spirit of God. Uh, for, for example, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Have you ever tried that? It's not an easy task, is it? And in fact, it's absolutely impossible. You know, it's easy, fairly easy to love people that love you. But when you talk about loving those that hate you, loving those that do good against you, you're talking about something that's impossible in the flesh, and yet God can enable us to do the impossible. And so we need to live in the light of the possibilities that we have, realizing, though, that we are forever dependent upon the power of God's Spirit. And uh, that's not, look, that, that doesn't go just for preachers. That's everything we do, whether it's singing. Some of the best singing that I've ever heard was not done by people that were the most gifted. They didn't have what we would call, you know, a, a great singing voice. But you could just sense the fact that the Spirit of God was upon them, that they had yielded themselves to the control of God's Spirit, and He was working through them. That ought to be true of every one of us. If you're witnessing to your next-door neighbor, you know, you can say all of the right words, and still 
and still even saying all of the right things, giving out all of the right facts. It's going to take the working of the Holy Spirit to open their heart and to enlighten their mind and to, and to help them be receptive to what you're saying. So we cannot do without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I often think about what Jesus said. Now, picture this. He's getting ready to ascend back to the Father. The disciples, they have, they have, they banked everything on following Him. The Bible says they forsook everything in order to follow Him, and that's what they've been doing. Not perfectly, but they've been following Him. And now He's going to be taken from them, and He basically tells them that they're not going to actually be lacking anything now think about that. His absence removed from them, and they're thinking all of our hopes, all of our dreams are dashed to pieces. We have depended upon Him, you know, for everything. He has fed us. He's taken care of us. He has taught us. He's been there every step of the way, and now He's going to be gone. What in the world are we going to do? And by the way, on top of all of that, He said, oh yeah, by the way, uh, the world's going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In in other words, he could not have painted a darker picture for them and and told them that you're going to be martyred. And, And so, you know, about... About that time, you know, maybe they might be rethinking this thing about following Jesus. But but he tells them, basically, you're not going to lack anything. Why? Well, John chapter 16, he gives them the promise that the Spirit was going to come and fulfill his office in working with them. And it was the presence, you know, that doesn't mean the Spirit of God wasn't in the world before then, but the Spirit of God came in a a particular office to work in the midst of His church. And that's what we sometimes forget. That group of men, those apostles, constituted the first church. He set some first in the church apostles, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. And so this constituted the first church, and the Spirit of God came upon them. And on on the day of Pentecost, for example, the church didn't start then, but the church then was anointed by the Spirit of God to carry out the work of God, and we still are dependent upon the Spirit today. The Spirit came upon Gideon, and this is what makes all of the difference in the world. Now, verse 34 and verse 35, notice here the assembling of the army. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Notice he blew a trumpet. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you're going to do something. You're not going to just sit there. He blew a trumpet. I don't know if he knows what all is going on or what, but he blew a trumpet. Notice and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. This old nonsense of talking about being filled with the Spirit, and the Pentecostals like to talk about the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to tell you what, you know, God doesn't care so much about how loud you shout and how far you jump off the ground. It's what you do when you hit the ground. You see, the Spirit of God is going to lead us and move us 
to do something. And immediately, Gideon blew the trumpet. Now, this was a, naturally, this was the way back then, it's kind of like today we might say he sent out an email. Whatever, he made an announcement. And he sent out, blew the trumpet, got their attention, sent out messengers calling for them to gather. Now, ordinarily, you would think that these people would reason in their mind, I don't know what this nut is up to, but we're just going to make it worse on ourselves if we try to resist these people. And, and, and I, I'm not going there. I mean, did you hear what he did to his, you know, to his daddy's grove and his daddy's idols? I'm not going to trust a guy like that. But remember, when God is at work, all of a sudden things begin to fit together. And, and that's what we see here in the assembling of this army. He is appealing to the people for help. And, and, and the initial call was issued directly to his community first in verse number, uh, verse number 11. Uh, Abiezer was a family name. That's not a city. That's a family name, historians tell us. And so these men were his relatives. You, you see, he's starting in the home. He's starting with the family. And he's already got their attention because of what he did. And whether they agree with that or not, I'll guarantee you one thing. They admired his guts. They admired his courage to be able to do what he did in breaking down those idols and cutting down those groves. And so now he sends out the messengers to his relatives, first of all, a good reminder that our service for God needs to start in the home and among our own family. And then securing the confidence of those people, he expanded the call to the other tribes of Israel. And lo and behold, what happened? They responded. And so when you, listen, when you consider the short time, you know, that in between this and when they wanted to kill him, remember earlier, they wanted to kill him. They were ready to put him to death. And now all of a sudden they're following this same man that, uh, that they had evidently hated as a result of what he had done. So his reputation had changed so radically and so rapidly now they say we're willing to trust the leadership of a man like this and they gather together so now we've got two sides we've got israel and their army and the midianites and their allies now verse 36 and this is where the anxiety level begins to rise I want you to notice what happens. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, and here's a real key phrase, I've underlined it in my Bible, as thou hast said. Boy, that's, everything hinges on that. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and be dry upon all of the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And, and it was so. For he rose up early in the morning and, um, th- and thrust the, the fleece together and wring the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. 
let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece and all of the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all of the ground. This is the anxiety of Gideon. You know, we talked about worry this morning. Fear is always a hindrance. And the reason is because it causes us to act foolish. It's the enemy of faith. Fear and faith cannot actually coexist for any time together. And at this point, notice that Gideon's trust was clearly not entirely in the Lord. He needed an increase of faith. And what does he do? He requested another sign from God. You remember the last message earlier? He wanted a sign from God. God devoured the offering with the fire, just like he had requested. And uh, so now he's on the horns of another dilemma. And he says, Lord, and this, whenever you read this, you, you can almost... You can almost put yourself in his place and feel what he's feeling because one minute it's like he's on this mountaintop and he's got this great faith and he's trusting God. And the next minute it's like, you know, I, I'm not too sure about all of this. Maybe, you know, maybe I, maybe I was mistaken. And so he says, you know, Lord, if you're really going to give me the victory, like, like you said, reminding God of his promise, uh, let me put the fleece out there on the ground. And if it's wet in the morning, the ground is dry, I'll, I'll, I'll know that we're going to get the victory. Well, you know, there's been a lot of argument and debates about this, whether it was a legitimate thing to do. And I'm not going to get involved in trying to solve that, that puzzle because, you know, I wasn't in his shoes. I just know that a lot of times whenever we are put to the test, a lot of times when the pressure is on, uh, that we do things that we ordinarily wouldn't do. That's why we've got to be so careful about judging one another based on what people do occasionally rather than habitually because all of us sometimes tend to act out of character. That is, we get in a situation where we do things that we ordinarily wouldn't do. And I don't think you ought to judge any person's life by their occasional failure. And so here we see what is evidently a breakdown in his faith. And notice that the Lord in verse 14 had promised, Thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. What did he call him? A mighty man of valor. <laughs> and this is the same guy that's, you know, that's really not demonstrating that much faith. He's saying to the Lord, remember, he already has the promise, but now he's asking God for a sign. God had already sent the fire, but now he's asking for another sign. And what happened? Well, God accommodated his weakness, and God gave him a sign. The next morning he got up, went over there, picked up the fleece. It was soaking wet. He wrung the water out of it. It was a bowl full of water. Now you've got your answer, Gideon, right? That solves the problem. Back in business, let's go. 
Well, wait a minute. <laughs> he's still not convinced. Yeah, I, I don't know what he's thinking. I, I don't know if he thought maybe somebody had heard his prayer and maybe they got up in the middle of the night and they dumped a bowl of water on the fleece or something. I, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what's going on, but I know that God granted his request. And what does he do? He turns right around and says, Lord, <laughs> would, would you give me, give me another sign? And this time, let's reverse it. In the first instance, somebody might have put the water on there, but now nobody's going to be able to do this. I'm going to put the fleece out, and if it's dry in the morning and everything else is wet, then I'll know that, that you're going to keep your promise. Yeah, you, at some point in time, you have to just scratch your head and say, what more could a person desire? What more could you ask for? What else do you want God to do? And the amazing thing is that he says, then shall I know. Then shall I know. And, and so God grants the request. Now, the only way to really put the pieces of this together and kind of understand is, and to be patient with Gideon is to realize the situation they're in. They're outnumbered four to one. They're going up against an enemy that for the last seven years has defeated them and taken the things they've got. But there's another factor involved here. The Midianites have weapons made out of iron, and the Israelites don't. Now, that's kind of like saying that you're going to battle with someone and all you've got is a slingshot, you know, and they've got a... M14 or whatever assault rifle, you know, you want to pick. I mean, you think there's no, 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 no chance there. So they're not only thinking about being outnumbered four to one by an enemy that's already defeated them time and time and time again, but they've got these superior weapons that they don't have. So whenever you begin to look at all of this, you know, it, it, it finally gets to the point that, you know, if I was in Gideon's place, I, you know, I can understand why that he might have been overcome by fear and wanted this absolute, no doubt assurance that, God, is this really what you want me to do? You, you really want me to go out there against the Midianites? Uh, because, it, it, you know, it seemed to be... Uh, a totally foolish plan. And boy, by the way, as you know, by the time we get through with this story, boy, it even seems more foolish, some of the things that God tells him to do. But it is so amazing that that instead, instead of God saying, look, I'm washing my hands with you. You won't trust me. You won't depend upon me. I'm going to find somebody else. Or I'm just going to leave you all in this same situation. You can figure your own way out. I tried to help you. You wouldn't let me help you. Instead of doing that, notice that that God accommodated him. And, and, and this is a concession to Gideon's spiritual immaturity. You know, sometimes people think, well, you ought to, you ought to treat everybody exactly the same. No, you shouldn't. Uh, people, you know, think, well, the pastor ought to treat all of the members exactly the same. No, I shouldn't. Because everybody's at a different level of spiritual maturity. 
It doesn't make sense to treat everybody exactly the same. You don't do that. Even your children, you don't teach them all exactly the, and treat them exactly the same way. You know, it might be you've got one child that's two or three years old, another one that's 15, 16 years old. You, you treat them different, right? And, and listen, God knows what level of spiritual maturity that we're at. And I'm so glad that God is loving and patient and kind. And when I look back on my faults and failures, as a, especially as a young preacher, I, I, that first church I pastored at the time, by the time I left, I thought these are the most spiritually immature, stupid, difficult people I've ever seen in my life. This is just an awful church. Boy, I'll tell you, it wasn't long after that, because they didn't ask me to leave or anything. They wasn't satisfied with me leaving. It wasn't like that at all. I was the one that wanted to get out of Dodge, and so I left. And later on, I realized, you know, that must have been a great church to put up with me that first year of my ministry, because I was a nut job. I'm telling you what, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, all, uh, some some kid the other day on Facebook, some way he found me, and it goes all the way back there, and, and he was talking. He said, I'll never forget. He said, you was my daddy's favorite preacher. He hated preachers, but for some reason, you know, he loved you and so on and so forth. And he went on. He said, I never will forget watching you preach, and your face would get so red and turn red and then purple. And I, he was just a kid then, you know. He said, I just kept thinking you're just going to faint and fall over any time, you know. And so that that was the way it was. Monday morning, I couldn't even open my hands. They were all swollen up and and, uh, you know, I was beating on the pulpit and running around and screaming and yelling and probably not even making sense half the time. And and uh, and those people, just, they just loved me. That one fellow just kept clipping his nails every week. He didn't. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, they must have been a good church. But I, I look back and I think how how long suffering God was. How patient and loving and kind that God was. Instead of, you know, just saying, look, I'm through with you. I can't use somebody like that. God just opened one door after another after another. And it was just so amazing the way that he worked in my life. And he does that with all of his children you know, a lot of people got this idea that God just it just can't wait for us to make some mistake, you know, so He can club us over the head and give us a you know a, a good chastisement. And that's not God at all. God is long suffering and patient and kind, and and that's what we're seeing here in this picture. He understands where Gideon is in his spiritual maturity. And at this point, he's willing to give him these signs over and over again. So we learn a very important lesson in this. During our years of immaturity, God might grant some requests and God might do some things that are permissible as we grow and then later refuse to accommodate us whenever we finally reach a certain level. And so, in other words, God's not going to let us keep living that childish lifestyle all of our life. Whenever, whenever, for example, you think about David, 
and the awful, terrible sin that David did. And this has confused a lot of people because David committed that sin, and you know the story. God said, okay, uh, the, the baby's going to die. I'll forgive you of your sin, but the baby is going to die. You know, and so why why was it that with some people, God seemed to be so tolerant, God seemed to be so uh, long-suffering, and with other people, I mean, boy, Ananias and Sapphira, what happened? They lied to God, boom, the hammer fell. He killed them both. Well, there's a reason for that. For one thing, David was the leader, and God was not going to tolerate in the leader things that were going to be detrimental to to that nation. And so he was to set an example. And if you're in a position of leadership, God's expecting more out of you than anybody else. And God's going to hold you to that higher standard. Now, I didn't say God has two standards. That's not what I said. What is required for God's man, whether it's, whether it's a deacon or whether it's a, a pastor, you know, that's what God prefers for everybody, but God requires it for them, and God's not going to tolerate in them what He might seem to, to pass over in somebody else. And, and then there's this matter of spiritual maturity. And, and I think about Ananias and Sapphira and the great privilege they had of being there with that, with that powerful church and seeing what God did. It was absolutely amazing. And, uh, and they, they turned right around and lied to God and God took their life. But we see other occasions where, where God seemingly just let some things slide. And it's all, it's all based upon uh, where we are in our Christian life. And here's what we need to remember. We are what we are by the grace of God. And the fact that God is willing to do what He does never excuses our faults. In other words, just because God said, Okay, Gideon, I'm going to do this, not one time. I'll give you the first sign, sign by fire. I'll give you another sign, a sign by water. Then I'll give you another sign which had to do with the absence of water. And, and so he gives him all of these signs. So that doesn't mean that, all right, now it's okay for me to put my fleece out. You've heard people say that, haven't you? You might have done that. You know, be kind of confused about what God wants you to do and say, well, I'm going to put a fleece out. Well, you know, that, that might be dangerous for some people. And so the, 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 the point is, the safe route is what? To trust God. Just trust God. And, and that, that's, that's what Gideon should have. He shouldn't have needed anything else other than God's Word because the Bible says God cannot lie. He is faithful and true. And if God says it, that settles it. That should have been the only thing that he needed. But the story's not over. And, and that's, that's, that's the wonderful part. Even when we fail, it doesn't mean that God marks us off the list. It doesn't mean that God eliminates us from His plans and says, I can't use you any further. Thank God that there is a future in failure if we're willing to turn from our unbelief and to trust God. And, 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 
this story gets better and better because now, next week, Lord willing, we're going to see the formation of his army. And we're we're just, well, you already know what God's going to do. He's going to do some things that the natural mind cannot understand. Some things that actually make no sense whatsoever. And out of that, God's going to give Israel a great victory. And here's, here's the whole thing about it. The bottom line, God's going to give them a victory in such a way that when it's all said and done, when it's all over, Nobody can brag about the Israelites. Nobody can say, I'll tell you what, those Israelites, I tell you, they are a mean bunch. You don't want to mess with them. They are tough. No, nobody's going to be bragging about the Israelites. Everybody is going to be attributing the success to God. And and that's the way it ought to be in our life. It's it's not about what I do or you do. It's it's about what God does. And we were singing earlier, and, and immediately Galatians 6.14 came to my mind. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Him, we could do nothing. But with Him, we're limited only by His will for our life. Trust Him. Regardless of the situation you find yourself in, I I, I really got my doubts that anybody's going to get up in the morning and open the door and look out there and be surrounded by Midianites. I just don't think that's going to happen to you. But I'll guarantee you one thing, you'll probably get up in the morning and be surrounded by problems of some kind or another, difficulties that you will encounter And uh, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself sitting there wringing your hands and wondering, oh, my, 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 what am I going to do? And it's a whole lot better to say, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do now, you know, and just trust him and he'll give you the victory. Let's stand together. Father, tonight we thank you for your patience with us, and we think about all of our many faults and failures, and and we know if we got what we deserve, all of us would be destroyed. And we realize it's only because of your grace that we're able to call you our Father, only because of your grace that we're able to have a part in your kingdom work, and only because of your grace that time and time and time again, in spite of our faults and our failures, you, you you just keep opening up doors of opportunity and using us in your work. And we count that a, a great high and holy honor to be able to have a part in your work. And Lord, all of us, all of us have a natural tendency to doubt and to fear and to fail. And I pray tonight that you'll just help us to realize who we are and what we have in Christ and trust you in our time of need that we might realize that regardless of the situation, there really is victory in Jesus. There might be someone here tonight struggling with with something in their life, an enemy that has come out against them, a problem they can't solve, a need that, that nobody's been able to supply. And we know that you can. And help them to trust you tonight. 
for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If God's speaking to your heart tonight, maybe you'd